cherish that you would have your Bibles today uh, for, Ma or, uh, for Acts chapter 4. Uh, I'd like for you to go with me, and it's important for you to see this. Uh, we want to go back to verse 32. Been saturating in verse 33, which is where we're going to end up, but I want to read uh, verse 32 uh, down through verse 35. So, book of Acts, chapter 4. Verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to, of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Reading verse 33 again. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Uh, at first glance and in getting into that in saturation process, it was uh, evident that that was a statement that he didn't need to make. Uh, not that it isn't important, not that the power of God shouldn't be emphasized, and not that the resurrection shouldn't be witnessed to, and not, of course, that the grace isn't uh, valuable to have constantly upon us. But the fact that for the first four chapters, that's all he's been talking about. So another statement of that, is not really significant because that's been the pounding message for the first four chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, when you go back to chapter 1, you're immediately into the resurrection scene. He spent 40 solid days with them. So the emphasis on the resurrection is all the way through. Every message they preached was on the resurrection. It was about the resurrected Christ. So every time they opened their mouth, there was some kind of evidence, some kind of manifestation, and some kind of message about this wonder of the power of the resurrected Jesus so again, the first four chapters have already covered this sufficiently, so he really doesn't need to make this statement. Um, when Jesus, just before his ascension, the 40 days, had 40 days with them, just before he ascended, uh, he turned to them and said, hey, wait, and what should they wait for? And you've memorized that verse in chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So again, that whole thing is just hey, we expected that, we were waiting on that, and then Pentecost chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 takes place, and we're into the whole Pentecost experience, and the power of God so powerful upon 120, that they are speaking in 15 different dialects that they don't know, a crowd is moved, Peter preaches, power moves again, risen Lord shows up in all of his immensity, and literally penetrates their lives, and you've got 3,000 people getting saved. I mean, come on, we've heard this, the power, uh, the great power is there in the witness of the resurrection. Uh, and then as you, as you move on, there's this growth that takes place, the growth of the early church and how they were being added to daily and all that was taking place and all the emphasis on miracles, wonders, and signs. And there were great miracles and fantastic things taking place and just, wow. So we've, hey, we've, we're, verse 33, we know all of that. It's the first four chapters just 
over and over and oh and Peter reaches out and grabs a lame beggar by the by the hand and yanks him to his feet and the power of God moves again and next thing you know Peter's preaching and 5,000 guys get saved and you know without even an altar call because they were uh, the Sanhedrin came and shut the thing down so you just shake your head and say yeah well good for you Luke verse 33 with great power the apostles gave witness we've heard it we know it I would propose to you that the significance of the passage, the significance of the verse is not contained in the content. We're not demeaning the content. The content is there all the way through four chapters. But the significance of the statement is not in the content. The significance of the statement is in the location of the verse itself. And you'll note in verse 32... He begins with this idea, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Then he moves into this physical, materialistic thing. And he says stuff like, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Which is a radical statement. Can you imagine a whole group of people looking at the deeds and titles of their possessions saying, my name shouldn't be on that. This stuff is not mine. Nor did anyone, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Now you would think that you would go from there then, go down to verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. So you'll note this neither nor thing. And we're familiar with that language. Neither nor, which connects Verse 32 and verse 34 intimately together. So verse 33 shouldn't be there. Should take that out and connect verse 32 and 34. Those are connected. But on purpose, he stuck this insert verse in there and says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. As if to say, what I'm trying to tell you that this power, this great power that was, was given to them, given to the apostles as they gave witness to the resurrection is sandwiched in between and is seen in the context of their attitude and the way they handled the physical aspects of their lives. And suddenly you're into the middle of a, an overwhelming gospel truth that frankly I have struggled with well not struggled but looked at and wondered about and tried to assimilate into my head that God is all wrapped up somehow in displaying himself through physical existence and if I were to give you a proposition of the truth it would be this that the redemptive heart of God wants to flow redemption through the platform, through the avenue of the physical humanity. Let me give it to you again. God always seems to flow, his redemptive heart always seems to flow redemption through the platform or avenue of the physical humanity. And I tell you, that's always been a wonder to me. 
God creates a man and there's a spiritual problem. He sins and he's got a spiritual issue and a spiritual God has created a man who has a spiritual problem, wants to solve the spiritual problem. Well, do a spiritual thing and solve the spiritual problem. Let's all be happy spiritually. (laughs) And well, how does he solve the spiritual problem? Goes out and dies on a cross. (laughs) Does that make any sense? Well, yeah, it does. See, it does make sense. That God couldn't just solve a spiritual problem by doing a spiritual thing without somehow displaying it on the platform of the physical humanity. Paul is so strong on this in Romans chapter 5. He says, one man, and I know some of us want to say one woman, but anyhow, one man got us into this mess. One man, one man got us into this mess. One, just want to slap him upside the head. One man, one man got us all, us, us, us all in this mess, Paul says. One man by his disobedience. And of course, he's talking about Genesis chapter 3 and the whole fall thing and Adam and Eve disobeying and all that went, took place in that. One man, one man got us into this mess. One man. And it's interesting in the book of uh, Genesis how he talks about God made man his own image. And, and then in chapter 5 he says, yeah, God made man his own image. And then man made his own kids in his own image. So the man who got us into this mess somehow was so altered in the image structure so altered in who he is, so altered in the nature of his being, so altered in the way he approaches things, so altered in the way he thinks. This, this man, this man is not like he was. And then when he had kids, he made them in his twisted image. And we've all been in the mess. So one man got us into this mess. And God says, hey, man got us into this mess. It's going to take a man to get us out of this mess. Why doesn't God just wave a magic wand? Why doesn't God just have nice thoughts? Why doesn't God just say, oh, well, forget it. We'll go another direction. Why doesn't God? No, God wants to solve the overwhelming problem. And how is he going to solve that problem? He's got to have a man. Because a man got us into this mess. A man's going to have to get us out of this mess. But see, the problem is, when God goes looking for a man to get us out of this mess, he can't find a man who isn't in the mess. Because we've all been made in the image of Adam's mess. So God can't find a man. And so the wonder of the gospel is the God who can't find a man who get us out of this mess because every man is in the mess decided to become the man. And we've got a Jesus on our hands who's not in the mess. He's not in the mess. He's not in the mess. And he can get us out of the mess. And so again, the proposition stands that when the redemptive heart of God wants to bring redemption into a world, he does it through the platform, the avenue of physical humanity. And came into flesh and engaged in physical and went through pain and dies on a cross, which is all a part of the display of the redemption of God that somehow absolutely demands the, per- the participation of the physical humanity and the materialism of the hour. And you can find that theme just hounded throughout 
the New Testament is just pounded page after page after page after page. God is not going to save us apart from the physical. Salvation is never isolated just in some, some spiritual realm. It always plays itself out in the platform of the physical humanity and your physical involvement in this. Whew. And isn't it interesting when he comes to this passage then he says, oh, here's a bunch of, here's a bunch of people. They are, they, are, they are becoming a platform for the power of God to move. And when he talks about that, he literally surrounds it with their attitude towards physical, material things. And the great power of God is displayed in the midst of that attitude. Now, if God is going to take his redemptive heart and he's going to display redemption through the platform and the avenue of physical humanity involvement, there are some elements that have to be present in that platform. And he gives, all, he gives those elements. And we already talked about one some time ago. It's the element of integrity. It is interesting that the power of God flowed through integrity. Which is a physical thing. Well, it's a spiritual thing. Well, it's a spiritual thing that displays itself in the physical platform. And he says, the platform that's going to display redemption to a community has to be displayed on a platform. That redemption has to be displayed on a platform of integrity. And, hey, we don't want to go through that again, except he gave two illustrations at the end of all of this. One is verse 36, which is, which is Barnabas. Always oh, a son of encouragement. Oh, he went out and took all of his physical stuff and sold them. And hey, participated in the early church. Became a son of encouragement. Hey, was a phenomenal evangelism, evangelistic force. Was used of God in a redemptive process. Wow, all so wonderful. And then he gives Ananias and Sapphira who also participated in the early church, who also raised their hand during the service, who also prayed during the prayer time, who also did all the things that everybody did in the early church, who also sold land, who also brought the money, who also gave. But they lied about the amount. And that produced what? Death. Absolute death. Both of them dropped dead, man. It produced no redemption. Why? No integrity. Because the redemptive heart of God must be displayed. It will be, it, the redemptive heart of God will bring redemption and it will be displayed upon the platform uh, and through the avenue of the physical humanity which demands integrity. So, let me give you a second element. Uh, that must be in the platform of humanity upon which he wants to display redemption. One is integrity. Two, involvement. We've already highlighted it. There is no question that humanity, physical, material, humanity, things 
must be involved. There is no way to isolate my stuff from who I am. My internal spiritual reality is all interconnected with the expression on my face, which is physical. Isn't that interesting? That this thing is so tied together within me. My spiritual commitment and how I handle my finances, my spiritual commitment and how I handle my time, my spiritual commitment and what I like in terms of physical things is somehow intimately, intimately tied together. The involvement is strong. Uh, Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, oh, this is so old hat. Number one, complete involvement. (laughs) Hey, we all believe that. You've been around. You've heard all the statements. Total surrender. That's completeness. That's complete involvement. Total yielding. Death to self. We've used all those phrases, you know. It's interesting in the passage that there is a total, absolute, complete involvement of the physical aspect of their lives, which was in the platform, or yeah, included in the platform, upon which the great power of the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I was sitting in a Sunday school class, and uh, they wouldn't let me teach, so I had to listen. Uh, and they had a discussion. They had a discussion. Ticked me off, man. I went away. And the whole class was discussing, and we've mentioned this other times, but I do my part. God will do his part. And I'm saying, oh, brother. That language, that idea, that it's so foreign to the gospel. If you're a Buddhist, you can talk that. But you, not, you can't be a Christian and talk that. I do my part. God does his part. And the whole discussion was, hey, we got to do our part. God won't do his part. I'm telling you, if I don't repent, God won't save me. So, hey, the reason God hasn't saved you, you haven't repented. So get with the program. Repent, repent, repent. And if you'll do your part, God will do his part. Okay. Hey, God will do his part. If, hey, we, we want revival. God wants to, hey, we want God to bring revival. Well, what's our part? We got to pray. We got to pray. Well, how much do we have to pray? Well, 100 hours. Oh, we only prayed 99 and a half. See, the difficulty is that I can't figure out what my part is. And when I have had some kind of inclination to what my part is in this, I wasn't able to do it. (laughs) I didn't have the discipline. (laughs) I wasn't able to pull it off. See, I want to propose, and this is so against the grain, I know. And I want to propose... Wouldn't it be interesting if you didn't have a part? Well, I have to have a part. (laughs) Why? Well, I I gotta have a part. Okay. Have a part. (laughs) It's okay. Have a part. (laughs) Wouldn't it be something if your part wasn't in 
doing or accomplishment, wouldn't it be something if your part wasn't in sourcing or creating or bringing about, wouldn't it be something if your part was in the language we've used is responding completely? And if you want to call that a part, hey, let's not fight over language. But that isn't really what we consider part. Wouldn't it be something if repentance is something I do to get God to move? Wouldn't it be something if God moves and I respond in repentance that I'm so bad I can't even repent right? And the only chance I've got to repent is that God would move and then the guilt comes and then I see myself as I am and oh my stars, what have I done? And I just, well, man, I've nailed him and, and all of that becomes reality in my life and I respond in that. And that there is never a time in Christian experience where that kind of response which we call my part, that kind of response isn't total, complete, absolute. And of course, the old illustration that we have used, and hey, no illustration stands on all fours, I get that, but the old illustration is the, the, the glove, man, it's, it's lifeless, it's lamp, it does nothing, it just sits there, the stupid thing is no good at all. Except when the hand comes. And I've never gotten over that illustration. Apologize. That hand. Can you imagine that hand? And suddenly the glove takes on life. The glove begins to vibrate. The glove takes on strength. Suddenly the glove is moving. Suddenly the glove is accomplishing. But it isn't the glove. It's the hand. And yet the glove is there. And the hand hand is doing everything. And the glove does absolutely nothing. And yet the glove is involved in everything. Can you see that involvement? Wouldn't it be something if that is Christianity? That he's expecting nothing out of me in terms of accomplishment. Nothing out of me in terms of sourcing. Nothing out of me in terms of cleansing. cleansing, Nothing out of me in terms of producing. That what what he's after is a complete, absolute involvement in the moving of his heart. And that if my life, my physical existence, the totality of all of my physical involvement could literally become literally become so completely immersed and involved in his redemptive movement that my life literally becomes a platform and great power, great power would come to the witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus because there is a complete involvement. Now this is all over the passage. For instance, look at verse 32 again. The multitude of those who believed... There was a completeness in the belief. They were so complete in their belief that it literally brought them together in one heart and one soul. And the unity was based upon the completeness of the belief. I I don't want to say it was a removal of all doubts, although that may have been true because can you imagine how they 40 solid days with the resurrected Lord and they came out of there absolutely, absolutely convinced there was, there was an interaction between them and the living Christ that was so, so 
immense and so overwhelming that there was no question at all. They didn't wake up in the middle of the night and said, is he raised or isn't he? They, there was the, all the doubts of that thing was erased and their lives in belief were absolutely completely given to the one thing. That was the 120 in an upper room. There were lots of Christians no doubt, throughout Jerusalem. Lots of people who had been touched by Jesus throughout Jerusalem. No question about it. But when it came down to Pentecost Day, friend, there was 120 in the upper room. Where were the rest of them? Well, they had a little league. You know, they, they, were, they had to go to Walmart and get some stuff and you got to feed your family and and hey, nobody's knocking anybody. We're just saying, hey, they weren't there because there was something about this group had so been captured by the resurrected Lord that they literally, absolutely were, they, they couldn't turn it loose. There was a completeness in their belief. Well, we could go on and on with that. Let me give you another one. Uh, oh, look, look at the statement. It says, now the multitude of those who, were, who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he, was, he possessed was his own. That's complete. Wow. When you say that everything I possess, everything that's got my name on it, everything that has... Deed and I have deed entitled to is not mine. Because you've been so swept away by the person of Jesus that it's all under his control. There's a completeness to that. When you look at your home, my wife is not mine. She's not yours either. She's not mine. <laughs> See, there, there, there's a... When the person you've married isn't yours and you have no right to dictate and you have no right to... And suddenly the whole rights of marriage and all that's involved in that is gone. Why? Because... See where this goes? When, when that isn't my car anymore. Why? Because somehow I've been so captured. Can you imagine the immensity of that kind of completeness that literally sweeps into the life and just carries you off your feet until your whole life is completely submerged, engaged, involved in the very interaction of the redemptive heart of God who's bring redemption and how does he bring redemption he brings it through the physical element that is completely his and if I'm going to be able to participate in the redemptive heart of God redeeming my world and those around me and my family is it not absolutely essential that this would be complete and you know the story of the rich young ruler who came and said, Hey, what do I lack, Jesus? What, 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 what must I do? And he went through the commandments. Well, I've done all that, so I'm in. But, but now there's something lacking. There's something lacking. What's the one thing that's lacking in my life? Jesus said, You're not complete, son. Well, where am I not complete? I, I do all the stuff. I operate in the church. I give the sacrifices. I, 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 I. What, what more? 
How could I, how could I spend more energy, more time, do more things? What, is, what, what should be added to the list? It's all in your completeness, son. You, you need to go sell everything you've got. Because in the realm of your materialism, it hasn't become complete yet. And that's what you lack. That's this passage, isn't it? And then again, the illustrations we've already talked about. Uh, uh, Barnabas and, and Ananias and Sapphira and the, and the contrast of that. One is complete, the other is not. And, and don't think that Ananias and Sapphira are bad people. They're not bad people. <laughs> come on. You would have come into the church and said, whoa, I wish I had a church full of them. They were engaged. They were participating. They were doing all the things that are needed to be done in the fellowship of the early church to be recognized as okay. But it wasn't complete. You look so good. But are you complete? And you know the irritating thing about Jesus is he just keeps gnawing away. He just keeps digging. He just keeps allowing circumstances just to keep beating the living daylights out of you. To do what? To bring you into completion. And the redemptive heart of God will be, will display redemption upon the platform or the avenue of the physical humanity that is completely His. Let me give you another thought. Not only the complete thing, but the core. What's the core of the involvement? Oh. The core of the involvement is, hey, prayer. You, all over the pages, all over the pages. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 14, where they were praying in, and continually in prayer and supplication. That, I mean, that's all over the place. They, they, they were continually, the miracles were continually a flow out of prayer. In, in verse 31 of chapter 4 here, when they had prayed, the place where they were sh- assembled together was shaken. Prayer and the spiritual disciplines and all of that. But that in the core. Uh, the Word of God, oh, that is so powerfully mentioned and right at the heart of everything that's going on in the four chapters. There's, uh, again, verse 31, they, they spoke the Word of God with boldness. And that was their prayer that even in the midst of persecution, when they said, keep your mouth shut, they would keep on speaking. So speaking the Word of God is just, but that's not the core. Of course, there were miracles, signs, and wonders, and they're all over the place. And certainly is an emphasis on that. But it isn't the core. 
the core in the passage is, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I've tried to share this with you before. It's so difficult because they did not testify about an event. It was not, oh yeah, he wiggled his little toe and then his whole foot began to shake and it crawled right up to his knee and then we saw his whole body vibrate and then he, whoa, there he was. See, they didn't, that was not, they weren't even there. It was not about an event. It was about, it wasn't even about, oh yeah, we saw him, we saw him, the resurrection. It wasn't about that. See, the witness of the resurrection was Jesus is alive. And they were living the resurrected life. And as they talked about it, there was the sense of the resurrected Christ there that began to vibrate within the lives of the people involved. See, it was about, it was about Jesus. It, was about, it wasn't about a resurrection. It wasn't about a new philosophy of eternal life. It wasn't about... A new philosophy of we're not going to die kind of stuff. And while all of that's there, it was about, oh, this one, this Jesus. See, he, he was the core. And if you walk through verse 27, this is so impressive. If you walk through verse 37, 27 rather, 27 down through verse 30, the pronoun your is just, whoa, listen to this. As they, this was their prayer. And truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look at the threats and grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand. You get that? To heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your. See, this is all about you, man. And the minute, the minute you get off on spiritual disciplines or off on results of his presence instead of him, whoo, you got trouble. You got trouble. You got trouble. It is all about him. So the completeness that we're talking about is a is an absolute capturing involvement about the person. And a Sunday school superintendent in a church who had established the pattern of every fifth Sunday he took off. Every time there was a fifth Sunday in a month, that was vacation. I won't be there. As hard as Christianity is, don't you think it would be okay just once in a while to go get, go to Las Vegas and have a, have a big time? As stressful as it is, don't you think it would be just, could we just take an evening and kick back and forget it? 
was he so? And is it so complete within me that the thinking of, well, it fits into my schedule. There is no schedule. <laughs> there is no schedule. Well, yeah, this money's mine and this is, there is none of that. Well, I've got my job, and I've got my recreation, and I've got my church. What? Well, there's my ministry, but I'm retired. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you, what are you, whoa. What are you talking about? Well, this is my part. I've done it. Now, he can take over. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, Jesus. We would ever even think such a thing. Who would want time off from you? Who would want time off from the immense movement, the great power, the flow of your redemptive heart? In the name of Jesus, let every, every ounce of my being, every, every bit of my energy, I do not, do not, God, let me work myself into a heart attack for money. My dear Jesus, don't let me stress myself into a nervous breakdown over stuff. May all of my energy, all of my time, all of my physical materialism, Every ounce of health I've got, sickness too. Let it all somehow be immensely embraced and overshadowed and integrated with. God, I don't want to have a schedule. I don't want to fit you into my busy lifestyle. You are my lifestyle, you are my schedule. I own nothing. You are my deal. In the name of Jesus, forgive me when that hasn't been expressed, when that hasn't acted on the stage of our humanity. Forgive me when I got worn out, depressed over stuff that wasn't you. Heads are bowed, not about right and wrong, good or bad. Would you let him overwhelm you today? Would you turn him loose within you?
so to, to so capture your mind that all your thoughts are his. To so merge that all of your emotional makeup is an expression of him. Would you join a Jim Elliot, a martyr in my generation who says, Lord, take my life like a candle and light it at both ends. Consume me. God, take my life like a $10 bill and spend me all over town until I'm spent. I'm spent. And don't say to me today, we don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that would be like. We've done that, man, we've done that kind of completeness for athletics. We've done it for money. We've done it for... Moments of seeking. Moments of seeking. 